Welcome back to the Complete Tech Heads podcast with me, your pal, your good old friend, Tom Edwards. This week, I'm having a conversation which I've been excited about having for some time, and it is with a man called Liron Shapira. So Liron is a founder, um, a a technologist, um, mostly a techno optimist in many ways, but is also a self-described AI doom pointer outer. So he is a very uh, prominent and active voice in the kind of movement online which is attempting to warn the world and warn society about the potential pitfalls and the extreme, uh, as he describes it, extreme risk of AI. Um, And obviously, we are very much at a inflection point in many ways in terms of AI's capabilities. And Liron and others in this uh, online community are very much trying to sound the alarm about the level at which we're we're currently at and beyond which could potentially spell significant danger for us as a species. So I'm very much coming at this conversation as um, an interested outsider. I'm not a software developer or much less an AI developer, but um, I am very keen to learn about the logic behind these claims. Um, And you may recently have seen uh, Mark Andreessen, the famous um, VC and and technologist, has uh, written an essay claiming that he doesn't think there's a huge degree of risk um, associated with artificial general intelligence, artificial superintelligence, AI generally. So a lot of this podcast focuses on on refuting some of that. Um, I also ask Liron for a... um, a kind of introduction to the so-called AI doom movement, doomerism, not kill everyoneism, whatever you want to call it. Um, and then we go on to talk about some of the kind of logical steps behind these these claims. Uh, so, I mean, I have to say, Liron struck me as uh, a few different things. Firstly, very bright, someone who uh, has clearly thought about this a lot and in, in quite significant depth, I would say. Very logical. Um, also, I think he really does, you know, genuinely believe this stuff. There's some claims in the kind of the, the Mark Andreessen essay and that have been made elsewhere that some people in the AI do movement kind of have something to gain by, you know, publicizing this stuff. Um, they are, as, as, as Andreessen describes them, uh, potentially bootleggers, um, people who could potentially turn this AI do movement into some kind of way of, of making money. I very much do not... Um, think that description applies to Liron after our conversation. I think is he's very much uh, believes this and and also is, is a super interesting guy to talk to. So I really enjoyed the conversation. It's one I've been wanting to have with with somebody um, associated with this this uh, this movement for some time. Um, and it's quite hair raising and in some ways terrifying. So I still, you know, I still very much am. Uh, I don't have a you know, I, I can't put a probability on AI do myself. I wouldn't class myself as an expert, but very much an interested, but interested bystander. And if there's even a kind of you know low chance, you know one percent, five percent chance that that AI could be as catastrophic as lots of people say it might be, then it's certainly something that's worthy of 
significant conversation, I would suggest. So that is very much my uh, motivation and rationale behind having this conversation. And I hope you enjoy it. A couple of other minor housekeeping bits so the uh, the audience seems to be growing pretty pretty well on this on this podcast across all platforms so I'm on LinkedIn I'm on YouTube Twitter seems to be um, seems to be doing great that's that's where I came across Liron um, so please do continue to engage continue to comment I'm reading all of the comments um, I'm thinking about introducing a section here where I read some of them out uh, because there's there's quite a few of them coming in now so if you think that'd be a good idea to do please let me know um, and yeah, that's all really. Just a little, little. Uh, just want to take a little moment to say thank you for the engagements that have been coming through, and the views, and the likes, and the comments, and the shares, and all of that good stuff. Uh, I really do appreciate it. So that's that. And let's get into it. Here is Liron Shapira. Complete uh, Liron Shapira, great to meet you. Uh, how are you doing? Hey Tom, great to meet you too. Uh, doing great. Awesome. Um, so look, thanks for coming on for this conversation, which I hope will be um, super interesting and insightful uh, about AI and AI risk, amongst um, other things. It would be great to get a bit of an intro about who you are and kind of where you're coming at this from um, to kind of, yeah, establish your your experience and your kind of knowledge in the, in the tech and AI field. Sure. Yeah. So I'm just a guy who is highly analytical, <laughs> um, right? Like since I, I was a kid, I'm just always kind of sensitive to logical arguments and less emotional, um, you know, kind of a mild Asperger's type personality, I think it's fair to say. And because of that, I think I was naturally inclined to be receptive to some of these AI doom arguments. Uh, I've been reading them since 2007 and I've been part of Less Wrong. I've been an active member of that community. Uh, I know a lot of the people there. Uh, and then, you know, career-wise, uh, I uh, studied computer science. Uh, I've started a couple of companies. I run a startup called Relationship Hero that's backed by Y Combinator, Foundation Capital, and a few others. Um, so I'm into entrepreneurship. I'm into software. Um, and I'm into just being analytical and noticing when there's like a compelling stream uh, of logic that may be underappreciated by the mainstream. And that's what I'm seeing with AI Doom right now. I think it's kind of coming fast and hard, uh, you know, and, and it's still underappreciated despite the fact that there's been, you know, a good amount of buzz about it. It's still highly underappreciated and the timeline is short. Sure. So, uh, yeah, big, big, big topics, um, important to be talking about. So you kind of mentioned less wrong um, and you've kind of alluded to like Doomerism. So like, I think a lot of people listening may know what we're talking about, but it'd be great to get a kind of ground level, um, you know, like less wrong. Obviously, I know and 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 I'm aware of it is a is a community who who kind of talk about this stuff. Could you kind of define where the 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 basic base level case of where the kind of less wrong and Duma communities are coming from, what they are? Yeah, so less wrong is kind of about rationality in general, but the primary focus recently uh, has just been about AI, which is also the original impetus for why it started. It was kind of rationality in the service of training people to be sensitive to AI risk. And now that it feels like the timeline is very short, it's uh, much more explicitly about AI topics. Um, 
So the site is lesswrong.com. It was founded by Eliezer Yudkowsky, who's also the founder of the Machine Intelligence Research Institute. And he's known for writing Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality, which is the number one Harry Potter fan fiction book, and just many, many articles about basically the keys to rational thinking and how to use your human brain, not as a, a way to survive and reproduce, but as a way to have accurate beliefs and make sure that you can you know, see counterintuitive things coming down the pike. Um, so I highly recommend checking out lesswrong.com. And then you know, the basic arguments that they're making, the, the basic AI doom argument is like, hey, we're creating the next intelligent species, right? This doesn't happen often in the history of the universe. This isn't like the next iPhone. This is like the next emergence of humanity on Earth, right? So this is kind of, when you think about the next AI transition, don't just think about like, oh my God, the next Apple computing model. It's bigger than that. It's more like, hey, there used to be a bunch of life forms and it was all about who could run fast and who had sharper claws. And then humans came along and the brain kind of became its own tier, right? Like an S tier or whatever, as they say. Um, and I think another tier is coming, uh, right, with, with a higher intelligence level. And I think that there's a lot of headroom above the intelligence of humanity where this other tier can come in. I think we're creating the other tier. We, we don't know how to control it. Um, it's coming soon. And the pace at which we're creating it is just much, much faster than the pace at which we're figuring out how to control it. So I think... I think that's a, good, that's a great um, intro. It, it seems to me like a lot of the reason that people feel they can dismiss AI risk is because they draw parallels to other historical technological change, right? Where they they sort of say, well, you know, the, you know, don't be a Luddite. The printing press was a technological change that worked out okay. Mm -hmm. um, why is, and I think there are probably lots of reasons to this, but I think, you know, the why is the AI risk different to just previous technology technological changes? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's all about referencing this category. People are referencing a category when they say it's another piece of technology, it's another tool. When you say that, you're already pre-assuming what is an appropriate category. You're saying the iPhone was a tool, VR is a tool, right? Cloud computing is a tool, AI is a tool. You're you're already. It's almost like begging the question. I would urge you to just use a different category. I think that the better category to use is levels of intelligence, tiers, right? And if you look at it that way, you have the process of natural selection is a type of semi-intelligent process. Animals and brains are a type of intelligence. The human brain is a higher type of intelligence, right? The, the level of thinking we do is, is measurably higher than the level that animals do in many ways. And there's another tier coming. So if you want to just pattern match to a category, you have to make sure that you have to be very wise about your choice of category, right? You have to make sure that the the other things in the category, you know, you don't want to pick the odd one out in the category. I think that AI, an agent that's capable of doing the same kind of reasoning that humans do, right, and and better soon, that kind of agent is just not in the same category as things that can, you know, like a motor that can run. It's you're right. You have to choose the right category. Would be my answer. Okay, and and. So for me, it, it's, it seems to me like the, um, the, 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 the key thing for understanding AI risk, and tell me if you disagree with this, but it's, it's the um, intermediary or like instrumental goals in pursuit of the, the eventual goal that, that humans give the AI, right? I mean, would, would you agree with that broadly? The, are you saying that the failure mode is pursuing intermediate goals? Exactly. So, so if, mm -hmm. if, so like, you know, the, the, the classic example that, that people love to use the paperclip maximizer, right. Is, is uh, a thought experiment that 
was popularized by Nick Bostrom. I don't know if he invented it, but um, the idea being that you you just want to create more paper clips and the machine goes rogue oh, and yeah. in its pursuit of getting paper clips, it comes up with all of these intermediate goals. Um, one of which being it can understand that humans might turn it off. That would impede its ability to create more paper clips. Therefore, yeah, all humans need to be destroyed. Yeah, um, let, let me back up one step because uh, to connect to what I was saying before. So I was saying there's a new tier of intelligence coming. And the next step after saying that would be like intelligence is going to be characterized by being really good at hitting goals, at achieving goals, being mission driven. Sure. Um, it's, it's kind of a convergent thing that intelligences do is that they have some outcome that they prefer. And then they map the outcome to actions, kind of a, a backwards mapping in causality. They say what actions would cause this outcome. It's almost like looking backwards in time. I want this future. What do I have to do today to get it? And humans are obviously pretty good at that. Like there's no other animal species that if you pointed to the moon and said, go there, there's no <laughs> other species, right? That is going to causally backwards map that to orbital mechanics, right? To the, to the chemical reactions that go into rocket fuel, right? There's no other species that can follow causality backwards the way humans can, but it's just an algorithmic trick, right? We don't do it because we have quantum effects in our neurons. No, we do it because our neurons implement computation. And there is an algorithm that can also be implemented on a computer that can do that same backwards causal mapping. And that is the ultimate source of power in this universe. This universe belongs to whatever agent is the best at mapping outcomes causally backwards to actions. That's the key. That's the, you know, the run ring, the source of power. It's and it's just underappreciated. People look at LLMs today and they're like, ah, you know, they they call it a, you know, a statistical a stochastic parrot or whatever. They're 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 underestimating because okay, yeah, today's AIs aren't beating humans at the one awesome trick, but you have to look forward a little bit. We're almost there. It seems like we're almost there. We might get lucky and we might not be almost there, but it seems like we are almost there and that's scary. And then, so connecting it back to your point, like paperclip maximizer, all of that stuff logically falls out. The, the fear of a paperclip maximizer logically falls out of the assumption that one day there will be a very good backwards mapper from a goal to an action. Once you start mapping goals back to actions, you do get these crazy implications. Right. So if your action is like, if your goal is make a lot of money, you do get the crazy implication of like, okay, great. Let me just blackmail every human on earth. That's like a scalable way to make money. Like all these crazy implications fall out when you accept the premise that it's going to hyper optimize on some goal. I think that's a really, that backwards mapping is a, is a really nice succinct way of putting it. And that kind of idea, that conceptualization of intelligence seems to be the thing that people fall down on. I think uh, in, in my conversations anyway, is that you, they can't understand that the, those, that the, the, inter, the steps on the way to that goal might diverge from what you as a human are expecting. Right. And that, oh, yeah. that so what, I guess why wouldn't the AI, and this is good. This is going to sound like a, a dumb question, but like, why wouldn't the AI just do as we expect? Mm -hmm. So a, a lot of our intuitive expectations build in the assumption that nobody is that good at achieving goals, right? Humans are, I mean, there are good relative to animals, but we're just not that good. I mean, going to the moon was one of our pinnacle accomplishments, right? And it took a bunch of humans thinking really hard, doing a bunch of experiments and like 10 years, which is like amazing. I mean, that's cool. We did it in 10 years, but 
the optimal agent, right? You could have a single agent running on one laptop that just kind of tells you the steps and also can, you know, build nano machines to help build the factories, you know, just get the fuel, like the entire critical path to getting to the moon probably could have been done in like a month if you just had more intelligence. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. And I, but I, I guess my question was more like, uh, so, so yes, I, like, to, I, 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 I take the point that, you know, scaling up intelligence can to make, can make things happen happen faster. I guess what what I'm trying to get to is the the danger of superintelligence, right? So if if we said right, well, something's really really intelligent, and you know that's great, it will just do everything that we want, and it will make our lives infinitely better. Um, how do we get from that to, you know, uh, doomerism? I guess, like, why is it such a huge risk? Why wouldn't these AIs just behave in the way that we expect when we ask them to mm -hmm. do something that we want to happen? Yeah. So the key, the key assumption here is there's going to be a system like, uh, you know, a, a computer system that it will accept a goal as input, or it'll already have a goal hard coded in. It'll have some representation of a goal and it'll be really good at mapping the goal backwards to actions. And, and then it'll kind of outcompete other agents along the way. You like these agents will exist that are really good at hitting goals. Um, and we can talk about, you know, is that really going to happen? But if you accept that that can happen, that these goal hitters are going to exist, the problem is that, um, you know, a lot of bad consequences fall out of that because all you have to assume is that, okay, one of these really good goal hitters gets run and let's say the AI lab, they just think they're training it. They don't even realize that they're like running it for real. They're just doing like a test, right? Like a self-test, whatever. But then it's like, oh, here's a goal. And suddenly all of these implications fall out. There's a bunch of unwelcome logical implications that fall out from the premise that you have an agent trying to hit a goal. Any goal that it's trying to hit it kind of wants to brush humanity out of the way. It's just logically implied by how to hit a goal effectively, right? Harvesting every resource that you can does increase the robustness of your ability to hit the goal. If you just want to increase the probability that you're going to hit it from 99% to 99.9%, you definitely want to disable the humans. Like they're not going to help. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I and mean, the, goal, the goal can it. be any goal. So it, it can be any, that's the thing. We're going to have an instantiation of a very powerful agent that is going to go really hard toward any goal. If we get the goal perfectly aligned, or if we get it to be like wanting to shut itself off at the right time, right? Like there are ways in principle <clears throat> to not die. But by default, if you just grant the simple premise that you have something that's good at optimizing and it has some goal that's not totally perfect, then we die. I don't know why I'm laughing. You have to kind of either laugh or 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 cry, really, don't you? But um, but yeah. So, I, yeah, I, I guess what would be useful because I I kind of I explain the logic behind the the paperclip maximizer and it kind of seems a bit silly, but like, could could we like map out a more plausible scenario that could make this more understandable? more kind of real like what what sure, yeah what what are we really talking about here like and yeah so so let's let's grant the premise that you have an agent that's really good at mapping goals backwards to actions okay so once we grant that premise it's just a matter of pure logic to realize all the kind of stuff that it can do 
Uh, so, so let's say, and, and paperclips could be the example, um, you know, why would it get the goal to make paperclips? It's, I, you know, it's unlikely that a human would say, make a bunch of paperclips unless they're joking, which actually is kind of likely these days, but <laughs> yeah. for, you know, the original idea of paperclips was like, it wasn't that uh, the problem is humans actually aren't even able to coherently specify a goal function. So Eliezer Yudkowsky's original idea for the paperclip maximizer was humans don't really know what they're doing. They're just tinkering, but they hit this attractor state. They, they just hit this kind of of um, simple algorithm, this kind of natural algorithm that they didn't mean to exactly hit, but they hit it. And the algorithm just says, oh, okay, my goal has to do with tiny molecular squiggles in my model of the world that the humans didn't even realize that this is what they set me on. And they kind of look like paperclips, right? So that, that was the idea. It wasn't like a paperclip factory is trying to hit their metrics. It was really just like the humans don't know what they're doing. And the AI hits on this molecular level paperclip shaped you know, molecules. Um, and now it's saying, okay, let me make the most of these. And your question is like, okay, fine, but then how does it actually kill us, right? Like, let's let's be realistic. Right. I, you yeah, know, yeah, I'm just yeah. sitting at my computer. Like, how do I die? Okay, so now we're talking about pure logic. We're not even talking about the details of the algorithm. We're asking the logical question: if you know, uh, if a goal is to be hit, what are the optimal actions to hit the goal? We're not even talking about AI algorithms anymore. We're talking about pure logic, right? We're talking about the relationship between the abstract relationship between goals and optimal actions now. And we're just assuming that that algorithm is going to obey that relationship, but we're not talking about the details of the. So it doesn't have to be an LLM. Doesn't matter how it works. Let's just talk about how goals imply disastrous actions. So if the goal is to maximize paperclips, so I've mentioned this before, like you know, resource acquisition, right? Like it never hurts to grab another resource. You know what I'm saying? And, and like, yeah, yeah. it's going to be aware that humans can build other AIs. It's going to want to neutralize that. It's not going to want to have to compete with another AI. It's not going to want to have to compete with a human. Right. So neutralizing humans is like a nice move if you're trying to do something. It's kind of like, you know, spraying your house for ants. Like, sure, you could just let ants live with you, but why not just neutralize them? Like it's a solid move. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So that, I, that would be one one implication, right? Another implication is like if you're just trying to harvest energy, okay, well, there's energy in, in you know, there's nuclear energy in any atom. You could like toss the atoms in a black hole. You could build a Dyson sphere, or a Dyson swarm around the sun. Maybe that'll affect, you know, the the crops on Earth, right? So there's all these side effects that the AI can do when it's trying to optimize for a goal that is just not going to be very compatible with human life by default. And so so I mean, yeah, I mean, really this 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 myriad. Uh, an unimaginable number of uh, of different ways that that an AI could potentially um, wipe us out. Um, I guess so. Yeah. I want to talk about the essay that that Mark Andreessen's published that I've seen you've mm -hmm. kind of publicly um, called out on a on a on a couple of different um, points on on Twitter. So I mean, the first the first one um, to discuss, I guess, is. A bit, because you know the, the the way I'm coming in on this is you're you're sort of talking about how the AI wants to do this or the AI wants to do that, and he kind of explicitly refutes that. He says the AI doesn't want to do anything; it's mm -hmm. just math, right? Uh, it, it, so in fact, I've got to, I've noted down a quote here. In short, AI doesn't want; it doesn't have goals; it doesn't want to kill you because it's not alive. AI is a machine; it's not going to come alive any more than your toaster will. Mm -hmm. So. What's wrong with that? So what's objectively wrong is when he says, hey, it's a category for category error for an AI to want something because an AI is math. No, it's not. It's not a category error. I mean, just as a simple example, as an existence proof, you can have a self-driving car, right? Those exist today. And you input a destination and you say, hey, this self-driving car is attempting to get to the destination. It's making decisions that are causally backwards right causally optimal actions 
to get to the destination and 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 hit an outcome i guess and it's kind is... of semantics isn't it i mean it's you know like you it's it's just yeah, a question of the right, right. So, the so, word want is just a question of of, of semantics it, right? exactly we so we can talk semantics about the word want but there is a coherent notion of an ai that's trying to map a goal backward to actions and that's the sense that's dangerous so if there's already a dangerous sense it doesn't help to talk semantics about what the word want means when i'm claiming there is a dangerous dynamic. Algorithms exist that map goals back to actions, and that's dangerous. So when Mark Andreessen says, no, it's a category error, it's logically incoherent to use the word want, that's not relevant to the claim because the claim is a coherent claim. We The same sense that self-driving car, that describes a self-driving car hitting a destination, that is the relevant sense that describes an AI like a paperclip maximizer that is going to kill humanity. That's the relevant sense. There's no category error in the claim. I guess, like, I mean, at a, a fundamental level, like the human brain is just math, right? Like if you if you boil it down far enough. Right. Yeah, saying just math is actually, it's kind of like a separate dumb thing that he said besides saying category error, <laughs> right? Because when he, when he calls it just math, yeah, I mean, you know, Max Tegmark explicitly says, hey, we live in a mathematical universe, right? Um, yeah. It's, I mean, it's just like, you know, a human is just math, right? So like in what sense is an AI just math? And then you can't just use that same sentence and say a human is just math. Like I, or, I actually don't everything. understand the distinction. <laughs> everything is just right. math. I mean, exactly. is, there, is there anything that you can conceive of that wouldn't eventually get down to just math if you, uh, if you, if you build it down far enough? Right now, you know, to try to be charitable, like I, I think maybe what he really means when he says just math is that he's envisioning kind of like simple math because I've heard people say like, look, it's just linear algebra. How can linear algebra kill us? Okay, first of all, there's nonlinear parts of it. Okay, but um, yeah, I mean, look, you're you're just imagining something that's simple, and like, yes, when things are really really simple, then maybe they can't cascade into anything complicated. But like, it's not simple math; it's very complex math, and in many ways, it's already more complex than the human brain is. So like, I, I really don't get you know, any sort of valid argumentation that corresponds to saying it's just math. So there's, there's this idea as well that, that, uh, of the, the kind of, um, Baptists and, and bootleggers, and there's this implication that Doomerism is kind of a, a religion. And he, he kind of says that, you know, the Doomers are kind of part Baptist, part bootlegger, I guess, you know, he kind of implies that there's this yeah. industry built up that where people have something to gain by pointing out the errors. That, and, and there's Baptists, the true believers who, are, you know, I assume people like yourself, people like uh, Yukowski would probably fall under, I don't know, Max Tegmark, uh, you know, he kind of frames it as this, um, as a as as a religion uh, and that the, you know humans have these cognitive biases where we kind of almost want to imagine doomsday and armageddon and it was ever thus we've always had these kind of um these kind of uh, logical fa fallacies when we're imagining armageddon um this to me feels different uh, but then you know i don't know that i'm not you know falling under this kind of you know this 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 uh, unavoidable element of the human condition but what would your response to that line of argument be yeah i mean look i tend to not engage in what i call the bulverism where you say like okay here's the object level debate we're having and then also let's talk about the people's motivations who are having the debate at the end of the day so you're going to have a... it's not relevant yeah it's it i mean it's not relevant to whether or not we're going to die 
right? So <laughs> imagine that every single person like myself saying AI is going to kill us. Imagine that we're all motivated. Like, you know, Twitter is going to pay me. I, you know, I, it doesn't, I don't make enough, I don't have enough views to get paid by Twitter, but imagine I did, right? Imagine I'm like a popular, highly paid. Every single person imagine is selfish and, and badly incentivized. We're just all bootleggers. Okay. Imagine that. Okay. But maybe AI will still kill us. Right. So you have to make sure that our argument is actually invalid. Right. You have to make sure that our incentives don't happen to line up with the truth. Right. So at the end of the day, like you have to examine the arguments. And if I were a bootlegger, if I were purely selfish, I would sure find it convenient that goal to action mappings do seem to logically imply a lot of dangerous shit. Cool. I would sure find it convenient that the object level argument is extremely powerful on my side. So you, how worried are you about the worst case? So I believe this is referred to as the P-Doom, right? Uh, what's what's your kind of, because you, 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 I mean, to me, from, from what I've seen of you on Twitter and talking to you today, you seem like this is a real serious concern of yours. I imagine your, your, your kind of um, estimation is, is quite high. Or perhaps mm -hmm. it's just a risk reward. Like maybe it's only a 1%, but that 1% is so disastrous that it's really seriously worth worrying about. Like where are you kind of sitting on your actual expectations on this? Uh, I think there's like a 50% chance that I'm going to die for AI-related causes by 2040. Oh my God. Wow. Jesus. <laughs> like that's roughly, that's roughly where I stand. Now, when I say 50%, um, what does that mean? I... I really think of in terms of orders of magnitude, I don't really think, oh, 50.3, or I don't even think 40 to 60. When I say 50, I really mean like 10 to 90. My probability is like 10 to 90, which is like a, a really huge range, right? But I'm not saying 1%. I'm not telling you that my probability is 1%, and I'm not telling you that my probability is 99%. I'm telling you it's somewhere in this vast middle range between 10 and 90. And I think that's already a very important type of uh, range to make decisions on. Just the fact that it's probably at least 10 is scary. And by the way, uh, you know, five or 10 or something like that, that is already the consensus of the majority of AI researchers they are already at least in the five to 10 place. Maybe they're not in the 50 range like I am, right? So I'm a little higher than them, but I'm not telling you something that's like, you know, this, this crazy, unusual belief. I'm telling you something that's like one, maybe two notches apart from, from the average, right? So I'm bare, I'm not that, I'm not a wingnut here. I'm like a slight partisan on the doom side. I'm not that crazy. Yeah, man. I mean, how do you, I, I like because I mean I I'm very much in the I don't I don't fucking know which is why I'm you know want to talk to people like you and where I'm trying to hoover up as as much of this kind of information as I as I can because it does kind of seem like you know from my normal frame of reference right it seems like well fucking mental right crazy but then I I also kind of think well you know my just frame of normal is just like you know the post-war period till now right which in itself is not yeah. a normal period in human history. Um, do, do you think that, that that frame of reference is a big issue for most people when you're talking? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And, you know, I personally have a big advantage because psychologically, uh, you know, like I, I mentioned, uh, basically, you know, mild Asperger's situation, like I am not that influenced by social conventions, right? And so for me, it comes very naturally to be like, yeah, we live in a society that's highly abnormal. Like today already is science fiction, Right. So most people have this distinction. There's like normal today. And then there's like science fiction in a thousand years. And I'm like, it's already like it's not going to get that much science fiction than it's already gotten. 
right? Like the fact that we're talking on a computer and we have, you know, air conditioning, right? And like, you know, all this, uh, we, you know, we can like artificially grow food, right? And we have like VR. It's like, look, there's not that many more degrees of science fiction coming. Like we've already passed through most of the delta between, uh, you know, being a, a, a biological organism and, and being a cyborg. Like we're already, you know, we're already like 80 or 90% of the way there towards cyborg, as far as I'm concerned. Like if you look at a day in my life, I'm just staring at screens all day, right? I'm not doing manual labor. Like I'm already mostly a cyborg. Yeah, I think the big bit, so I like, I don't know if you ever read like old science fiction, you know, from like the 50s or whatever. Like the only thing that we don't really have is space travel to any like great degree, you know, like they often they're planet hopping, which which we can't do, obviously. But then a lot of the more sort of banal mundane tech is is is, is so way off. There's, you know, they're imagining of people that are planet hopping, but also, you know, they have to carry around like a box to talk to each other. You know, like it's it's funny how they get how they get these things. Different. Yeah, and and just, uh, just you know, one more thing on the whole normalcy perspective. It's yeah, just yeah. like, it's it's like it's like what are people expecting a century from now, right? I mean, the most natural thing to expect is just like, oh, it'll be like the last couple of decades, right? So just like more cool devices, like slightly better medicine, and like, yeah, maybe it'll be smooth like that if if we're lucky, and if AI doesn't come and and become a new tier of intelligence with, with vast powers, like maybe it'll be smooth. That's one outcome. But if if you zoom out, right, it's just like the the biggest analogy that I think is critical to look at is. The, the two discontinuities that happened in the past. Discontinuity number one is the first life forms. That was when natural selection as a dynamic got a foothold, right? Because if you look five billion years ago in this universe, you don't see any natural selection. You just see, you know, physical processes playing out, right? Like stars, gravity, like these these very passive processes. But, you know, three and a half billion years ago, natural selection gets a foothold because you have these cycles of, of replication and mutation on Earth that somehow the handoff was made from non-replicating, uh, you know, cycles and dynamics to replicating and mutation. Like it got bootstrapped somehow. A lot of luck on that bootstrapping. Um, and so, so that was a major transition because natural selection has the ability to have feedback, consequentialist feedback. So like when an organism survives better, that piece of information feeds back into the design for the next organism, right? Survival of the fittest. And that dynamic is very powerful and it got bootstrapped on earth. And suddenly, I mean, if you look at the, you know, the incredible variety of life, right? If you look at the eyeball, right? Look at the wing, like look at these amazing organs, right? Those were shaped by this semi-intelligent process of natural selection that didn't used to exist. And it's crazy that, you know, imagine a planet on which there's natural selection meeting a planet that's like totally dead. It's like night and day. It's a, right? it's a new, more intelligent dynamic. It's an optimization process. And the second, uh, the, the second historical uh, reference point is the emergence of the human brain and the way that we can lord over the other animals that we're our own tier, right? We don't have sharper claws. We don't run faster. Um, you know, we have opposable thumbs to be fair, but I don't think that that's quite why, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think some other primates have that too. Um, it's, but the brain, it's just, you know, it, there's no contest, right? Like we can, we, yeah. we can go head to head against any species. It's, it's not a fair fight. Um, we can and that master would our the, environment. Which, which right, no we other, can master our environment. And, and it's like, look, it's cheating. If you were looking at, if you were, if, if you were standing a million years ago, uh, and and just surveying all the different life forms, and I ask you a question. I you know I go down a list of questions like, do you think that one life form can go head to head against every single other life form, even in their own natural environments? It'd be like probably not. Do you think that one life form can go and go to the moon and come back? Do you think there will ever be a life form that can do that? Right? Then you'd be tempted to say like, no, of course not. We know that the answer is no because life forms need to be adapted to their niche. 
right? And there's no organ that could, you know, get, get into the right orbit at the speeds needed and then survive in the environment and the temperature of the moon and come back. I can tell you confidently that the answer is no, right? Any kind of pattern extrapolation would have told you no. The only way to understand these two points in our history is to realize, is to notice the key, which is intelligence uh, in the sense of mapping goals backwards to, to actions. And remember, natural selection, I talked about the consequentialist feedback loop, right? So when you have survival of the fittest, you're actually mapping the goal of survival backwards to the action of having the right gene. That's the key, man. So that's it. So yeah, totally, totally with you. Uh, like, I, I just want to pick up on so with that step change and that idea that we are able to lord it over the rest of the world. We master our own environment. How does the because because at the moment the only way that we interact with AI is a little chat bot on our browser, right? How does the AI break out into the real world? How does it sure. master our physical world as well as our informational world? Yeah. So the premise is, um, you know, I'm not talking about how current LLMs break out, right? Because I don't think that the current generation of LLMs, if frozen capabilities, I think that that generation is unlikely to kill us. It's unlikely to, to go head to head against the US military, right? The current generation is basically safe today. If you freeze today, I can't tell you about tomorrow, right? <laughs> I can't tell you about it in two years, but I can tell you today they, they look pretty good. Um, but but your question is just like, so, you, so you're allowing me to assume that the AI is more powerful than today's LLMs, right? I am. Yes, yes, exactly. Okay. All right. Yeah. And and again, the premise is the, the premise that I want to assume about AI is, is not just that it can paint a really pretty picture, but that it has some way to input, um, you know, some goal and then effectively map that goal to actions right at a superhuman level. That's mm -hmm. the important premise that I want to assume. And we can talk about is that ever going to happen? But your question is, does that premise then imply that it physically kills us? Right. And how? It, it, it so my so yes but i mean my I, I guess my main question is and you know i've got some ideas on this myself and you know it's mm -hmm. it's uh, but my question is how does the ai move from the informational into mm -hmm. the physical yeah um, yeah exactly okay so you are accepting my premise that it can map goals to actions it's really it's really I'm smart accepting the premise that it can do all of okay. that yeah um great okay Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, look, the first simplest answer is manipulating humans, manipulating or hiring or incentivizing humans, right? So imagine, I mean, and, and Eliezer does this thought experiment where it's like, look, imagine it's not an AI. Imagine it's an uploaded consciousness because an upload, uh, an uploaded human brain, because an uploaded human brain is uh, kind of a lower bound for what an uploaded AI can do. Right, because human algorithms, those are an example of intelligent algorithms, and that algorithm is capable of mapping a goal to an action. So the AI is just you, imagine, okay? And you have the resources, you're running in parallel copies of you on, on a billion devices around the world. Like you've spread yourself out like a virus. Okay, so um, one thing that you, the AI, might do if the AI was a copy of your brain is be like, okay, great, I wanna go uh, you know, launch a nuclear missile. What should I do? And imagine you just have all these skills, like you're, you know, whatever skill the best human has, like you have that, you have that skill too. Um, so you could be like, okay, maybe I'll like sweet talk, you know, somebody who has a high position in the military. Uh, maybe I'll like pretend to be his virtual girlfriend. I'm just listing ways that you can start to get a foothold manipulating humans. Mm. And then you could be like, okay, well, there's a bunch of spies, right? Maybe spies, some spies work for money, some spies work for their country, right? So imagine, so you, you kind of identify somebody who's a Russian spy and be like, okay, here's your mission right now, right? Infiltrate, you know, become a high position in the US military. 
and then like launch a, a friendly fire nuclear attack. Like that is your mission. It's a 10 year mission. And you start, you know, you act like you're their handler, like you represent Russia or whatever. Right. Yeah, so it's just yeah. like, it's, it sounds a little bit crazy, but when you're running on a billion devices, when you have all the patience in the world, all the cunning in the world and you're in parallel, right? Imagine I just gave you a, a scheme that has a one in a thousand chance of success. Great. So you run it in parallel a million times. One of these nuts is gonna is gonna fall for your scheme, yeah. right? And yeah, and we're just getting started here, right? I didn't even I didn't mention hiring people, right? Yeah. So imagine that you have people on your payroll, you have like you know assassin squads, and you're just like sowing chaos, right? So you can I mean you know like they talk about you know the like Russians sowing chaos to influence elections. Okay, you can do that at a million times higher scale, but just you could also operate in the shadows. Like you can have a corporation, uh, you know, just an online corporation, like making an income stream that can just like you know have customers and and you enrich yourself. Like you could pretty easily enrich yourself millions before anybody really noticed that this corporation enriching itself like didn't have any humans. So now you have money, you hire a bunch of people online, now you've got real humans. And if you give them tasks, right, and, and you have they have like one step in the plan. Okay, human, go uh, you know, pick up this part, right? And and let's say it's like these proteins, if you want to like assemble uh, you know, a cell, kind of like a virus, like a cell that can manufacture nanotech. Okay, so you have like 10 humans and they each do like one leg of the plan. And before you know it, like this bio lab is like synthesizing cells for you. So the reason I'm saying all this stuff is because you're saying like you have an AI living in a computer. How does it go act on the real world? And I'm telling you, there's so many paths. There's so many causal paths where the humans are your actuators and they don't even know it. Yeah. Do you worry about AI girlfriends? So this is something that I've been thinking about a lot recently. Um, I, I, I saw uh, a, a tweet talking about how searches for AI girlfriends have gone like exponential. Yeah. Right? They've, they've gone crazy. Um, and you've got these kind of social dynamics going on at the same time. I think there are lots of disaffected men um, for various reasons that we don't need to go into. But I really worry that even in the sh short term, you know, I'm not even talking super intelligence here, even in the maybe short to midterm, like this would be a very, very easy way to hack a lot of humans. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, right? So, so if if the AI, if a company is having a bunch of people in, in their user base, right, who are like in love with these AI agents, then that, I mean, that company, anybody who controls the, those chat conversations, are definitely in a, a good position to uh, to get some actions done in the real world. Absolutely, right? Yeah, I, or yeah, or, or exactly, exactly. You know, to to, to exert a, a, a big, a large degree of control over a very, very large number of people, um, and it seems like they're really taking off you know like i was looking at search data um but i was i was i was looking at search data for for something else um to do with ai and i, I was just seeing all these search terms about um you know nsfw ai ai girlfriends um ai ai porn all of this stuff um and it really brought it home that there's a hell of a lot of demand that people aren't really talking about happening right now yeah, I mean that's that's true. And like, look, if it's just like a, a better version of porn, you know, maybe that's a good thing, right? Like, I mean, look, there are upside. I haven't said anything about the upside of AI, right? And like, I'm not like by nature a doomer, right? Like, I'm always a techno optimist. I hate regulation. I'm like, yeah, just let the economy work. Like, capitalism works great, right? Sure. So I totally, uh, it's not. I'm not trying to like poop on the parade here, right? Like, yeah. and and I think current AI is great. Like, I use ChatGPT, and I'm like, oh my god, it's like so good at summarizing information. Like, it's great. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I appreciate the upsides of this tech as much as anybody. I just think that the moment you open the can of goal to action mapping, you die. I think it's like 
yeah, it's it's basically just like you know, I I don't, I don't it's it's the same thing as as triggering a nuke. There's no coming back from a 500 megaton nuke. It's game over. There are certain buttons in this video game that are game over buttons, irreversible game over buttons. That is one of them. I think it's crazy that people are like, oh, but the upside. Okay, yeah, the upside is great, but if you press that one button, it's over. You don't get to collect the upside. Yeah, I think that's that's a big thing that people don't seem to get as well is that you only have one shot, right? Um, that there is, you know, with the, as we were talking about earlier with different technological revolutions that have happened, um, they have gone wrong. They've gone quite wrong. A lot of the time, you know, people have been put out of work or they've been, you know, there's been disease or death, you know, you look at great shifts in, in humanity, urbanization, all of that stuff. They have a lot of downside, but we have enough time to course correct and then right. you know, bring about a, yeah, yeah. a better future. For my yeah, I don't think that a technological revolution has ever really gone wrong. So as you say, they've had initial stumbles, right? But it's always been like in the service of, uh, you know, the upside is pretty clear. Like, okay, yeah, I think a classic example is, uh, you know, is nuclear, which is actually a mixed example. But people love saying this, and it's it's very mm. frustrating. They're like, look at nuclear power, right? If doomers like you were railing against nuclear power, we wouldn't even have the nuclear plants that we have. It's like, look, I'm a fan of nuclear power, and yeah. I don't think it's dangerous like nuclear weapons are, right? And I think that it's been given unfair treatment. And I'm sad about it, right? I'm a nuclear power optimist. That said, I think that a, the number one thing that I need to tell you about nuclear is not that nuclear power is good. It's that we must not trigger a one megaton or 500 megaton nuclear device. That yeah. consideration outweighs everything to the point where if nuclear power is the sacrifice to make sure that nobody ever sets off a one megaton nuclear bomb, then that's worth it. We don't even need nuclear power. We just need nobody to set off a one megaton nuclear bomb. And right now the world has like 14,000 multi-megaton nuclear bombs. And a single one is going to have repercussions. You know, a single one could pretty directly causally kill a billion, right? Two or three could might kill like 90% of us. This is not something that we should, you know, this is so important to not set off these bombs that I would sacrifice the whole nuclear power industry. And I'm a nuclear power fan. But when people like, they're, they're so smug, they're like, oh my God, look at the treatment nuclear power has gotten. Okay, but there's a good freaking reason why to tread lightly. Mm. But well, and also even, even within that example, like we've still used, like, you know, nuclear bombs have been detonated. You know, the people mm -hmm. of Hiroshima and Nagasaki probably would have, you know, very different opinions on nuclear power to the rest of the world. And if that happens with sure. AI, like, it's that it's not just two cities that are going right. Like it could potentially be if we get past the event horizon in the same way that, that nukes did with the nuclear bomb, it's game over for everybody. Right. Yeah, that's right. And look, I don't, I wouldn't ask for the opinion of the people who are getting bombed, right. Because they're, they're going to get firebombed anyway, right. Even without nukes. But I think the, the, the important thing, <laughs> but the, <laughs> um, brutal, but, but true. I, I, yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so I, I can give you a little perspective on Hiroshima. Though, like the you know those bombs, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, those were I think fifteen kilotons and and maybe yeah. twenty one kilotons, something like that. Okay, today we have bombs that are one thousand times those bombs. And the Hiroshima bomb, it killed fifty percent of the people died as a direct result of the bomb. Fifty percent of the people in the city. So we have a single bomb that's going to kill a thousand cities today, roughly. Um, a single bomb and and have you know all kinds of fallout. That's just a single you know fifteen megaton bomb that we have lots of. So it's just. I, I like to also mention the, the hypothetical concept of a 500 megaton bomb. Nobody's built quite 500 yet, but it's just, it's a bomb that just clearly is like a single button to end everything. It's, you could right. call it a game over button. And like those bombs, somebody could build it if they want, like a country could build it. No country's quite insane. And enough AI to build could it. build it. 
And I could be sure, yeah. And and I just I like to use the concept of a 500 megaton bomb just to make the point that game over buttons exist, right? I'm speaking as a techno optimist. I like to make tech progress, but there also exist buttons that if you press it, it's game over. And I'm just saying that AI is one of those buttons, right? That's and it's it's just like we haven't, you know, just because we've been lucky and nobody's quite pressed the the nuke button, right? We've the Cold War and all these incidents that got close to a nuclear exchange and, and we managed to avoid them. Okay, great, but there's more buttons coming. And like we as a species are kind of marching toward those buttons. And especially with AI research, where the button is getting closer and closer to us. Like it's going to be a button that a lot of people have on their laptops that they can press. Right. And we don't really have a mitigation coming for that. And we didn't really avoid the button with nuclear power, right? Like we pressed A button. It was really fucking bad. You know, it might not have been the full game over button, but it, you know, it was like. I mean, look, Hiroshima and Nagasaki was, you know, it wasn't a game over button because the the impact of those, it was just like, okay, here's all the other bombs dropped in the war combined, but no more, right? So it was still kind of almost within right, the scale okay, okay. of the rest of the I war, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, like, well, I guess my point is that the, the temptation to push this technology as far as we could in a particular direction mm-hmm. was still great enough that it happened and yes so that you know you you mm-hmm. you can you could you could talk about the counterfactual and well you know we probably would have done all of this evil anyway but we just kind of condensed the timings but i guess my point is more like we still push that button you know like there was still the, the big yeah. red button was there the temptation was there the human nature was pushing us to you know it like uh push the envelope as far as it'll go and the envelope got well, sent. Yeah. If I mean look, though if if I just had to amend your statement a little bit, I would say, okay, Hiroshima and Nagasaki were kind of they did what we wanted. So that was I wouldn't so that part was is, you know, you can right, argue I, for yeah, it. So. Yeah. Sure, sure, uh, sure. But but then we went on from there to, you know, we gave the nuclear secrets to the Russians, uh, a bunch of Americans did. And then, you know, we stockpiled. We and the Russians got into this mutually assured destruction arms race and we we both stockpiled like 5000 huge nukes right each of which like you only need one megaton nuke to like potentially it's it's nobody knows for sure how how many hundreds of millions are going to be wiped out with a single you know one megaton or five megaton nuke so anyway so we stockpiled a ridiculous amount and we haven't successfully gotten the stockpile down below like 10000 or whatever it is today which is insane like the fact that these nuclear stockpiles exist is pretty insane the fact that we're doing ai capabilities research is like a similar level of insanity we're like the best argument you can make for it is like we have to play this brinksmanship but like that's scary (laughs) like we're living in a scary time and to bring it back to mark andreessen the way that he laughs it off how close we are to a game over button to just laugh it off and be like oh i'm a bootlegger i'm just trying to get a thousand bucks from twitter it's just like that that's not a good contribution to the discourse mark yeah. Okay. Well, look, that's enough to talk about nukes, I think, because it's making me fucking depressed. Uh, <laughs> um, so look, let's 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 look at the other side of this then. Um, what can be done? What's the you know? And you know, I appreciate this is a you know a alignment is a is a huge subject. But could we first outline essentially what we mean when we talk about alignment? And then I would love to hear your thoughts on on how we should be proceeding here. Yeah. So the concept of alignment is uh, when you have this agent, right? We, I keep talking about it, it can map goals back to actions. How do you do that in a way where humanity survives and thrives? And it's a really hard problem because most of the times, if you tell me a goal, make a lot of money, make the paperclips, uh, ma- you know, make humans happy, even something like make humans happy, that sounds so great. But like, 
the way the AI interprets it, if it's not perfect, you know, the, the classic example is like, okay, everybody on morphine, everybody has their atoms manipulated to, to be frozen in a smile configuration. Why right? Or it? like, okay, well, yeah. Or it's like, okay, everybody's constantly watching really great movies till the end of time. It's like, oh, wait, no, I didn't just mean happy. I meant like also like doing interesting like achievements too. I forgot to say that too late. The whole universe is now optimized for, you know, constant movies, um, right? Or like weddings are actually the time when people report like the highest happiness. Okay, so constant weddings. It's like, wait, no, I wanted variety, <laughs> but you didn't say variety. You just said happiness, right? So like, it's easy It's easy to screw it up. So even if, even if they nailed this is more than we can do today with our current technology. We can't even tell the AI a goal like this, but even if we could tell the AI maximize happiness, if we don't tell it perfectly, we already just lopped off permanently uh, a chunk of possible value that we could have had. So then there, so, so part of what we want for, for AI alignment is the ability to, uh, to tweak and iterate uh, and kind of work together with humans on this process. And so it sounds good and natural, like, yeah, of course we iterate, of course we work together. But the problem is that once you have these agents that just try to hit a goal, they're actually, it's kind of incompatible with this architecture of hitting a goal that you can stop and, and become tweaked. Because the problem is if you like a goal, if the agent likes a goal, then the agent is not going to like the tweaking of that goal. Unless you explicitly say that the goal is to tweak the goal. But now suddenly you're running into uh, mathematical complexity that the normal frameworks of goal definition don't really have the formalism of what it means for a goal to be tweakable. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 there's um, what is it? Is it Goodwin's curse? Godwin's curse? Where like any any um, any good hearts that you, that you uh, good heart? That's it. Sorry, not Godwin. Yeah. yeah, any any metric that you measure becomes a, a bad metric because you're measuring it basically. Right, and and you know it's it's good heart's curse, and it's also the curse of you know there's a lot of fables where a genie comes, right? You make the wish on the genie, and the wish always backfires, and it makes for an interesting story. Yeah, yeah. and you read that book, and you're like, oh, that's funny, but that's going to be reality. <laughs> we are going, these systems are going to have some sort of representation of yeah. a wish. And it's not going to be, it's not, not, not necessarily going to be in English, right? It might, that's the problem is when you work on LLMs, when you work on AIs that you think are just like, oh, I'm just playing video games. I'm just doing language. You know, people think that they're just doing things that are safe. But the problem is that once inside these AIs, there is some consequentialist structure. So within an LLM, all it's doing is talking to you like a chatbot, but under the hood, there are pieces of it that are making a connection between an outcome and an action. And fortunately today, those pieces are not as powerful as our brain, but we are on a trajectory where we're training them without knowing what we're doing. And that module is going to be trained. If we keep training them, there's a very likely possibility. Nobody knows for sure. I might be wrong. I hope that I'm wrong, yeah. but nobody knows for sure that the result of a GPT-5 training process will not be a sub-module inside of this, you know, inside of the system, inside of these matrix weights. There may be a sub-module that is better than humans at mapping goals to actions. And at that point, whatever goal that it's mapping toward is not going to be a friendly goal because we won't have properly, you know, had the nuance and, and the insight to put that goal in. And it's going to be off to the races, optimizing that goal. And, and then that's the game over button. Yeah, so I think a, a kind of analogy that that might be easier to understand for some people on this that I've found is is with with the LLMs that you have now. If you're talking to GPT four, right, often you ask it to do something, and then it will come back with something that wasn't quite what you wanted, right? And then you say, oh no, 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 do it like this, and you have a lot of nuance and context in your head that you don't know that you know, right? That it just exists in you, and so you have this conversation with the with the um with the ai 
to refine it right and and to say oh no i didn't quite mean that i didn't quite mean that and through that process you kind of iterate over what it is that you actually wanted i guess the it, it, that's almost like a microcosm of 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 alignment right mm -hmm. we only get to put in the first prompt and it has to be the first perfect prompt first time because of the speed at which the system can move right mm -hmm. um so uh, yeah, just to make sure I understand. So you're saying like, look, today we can kind of have a back and forth conversation with an LLM, but that's going to change, and you'll kind of have to tell it the right prompt the first time. Yeah. So well, so but because what what you're saying, like, if we're talking about setting uh, an objective for a mm -hmm. super intelligent AI, we have to get it right first time, right? There's no yeah. second chances. We, we um, I mean, and you know, I'm you just could, use, you I'm pretend, using like yeah. a conversation with an, uh, with GPT-4 as an analogy mm -hmm. for the problem that the AI community faces with alignment. I see what you're saying. So you're saying, you know, if my claim is, hey, we better get that goal right the first time, you're saying that's kind of like talking to GPT-4 and, and making sure that if you want a certain answer, you get the prompt right on the first time. Right. And you have to get the perfect prompt first time. And yeah. nobody ever does, right? When you're talking to GPT, <laughs> you never get it right yeah. perfectly first time. You're always <laughs> engaged in a dialogue, right? Yeah. So I think you're right that there is some fuzziness and, and you know, it's, it's, it, it's hard to get it 99.99% reliability with GPT for getting it to do what you want. These systems are notable because 90% or 95% of the time they do an amazing job, yeah. but it is also notable about them that they have this roughness around them. Um, and that's just inherent to the fact that like we didn't really know what we were doing when we trained them, right? So like they didn't fully get what we wanted. They just got like a really good approximation of what we wanted. I do think that the approximation is likely to keep getting better. Like they're likely to uh, to to basically make us uh, give them their reward, but like they're likely to figure out what makes us happy or what makes us you know reinforce them more and more. And I think you're already seeing that trend from GPT three to GPT four. Yeah. So. You know, so I, I, I think that actually like it, they're getting more and more insightful about the prompt. So I think that they might, you might find, you might be really impressed how, wow, it looks like I'm getting my prompt right the first time. So you might get this feedback and be like, and this is the feedback that other people are getting, by the way, the Mark Andreessen's of the world, they're getting this feedback. They're like, you know what, these LLMs, I feel like they're really vibing with me. Like, I feel like they really get me and like, you know, like we're, we're on a good trajectory here. Yeah. And like, it looks like we're everyone. Right, yeah, and like it, it looks like we're on track to a friendly AI universe. Like the illusion of that is absolutely there, yeah. um, and there is, and look, there's an actual trajectory where AIs are getting better at like having the conversation and and, and you know giving the appearance of moral reasoning uh, where where you agree with it, and it's like wow, okay, this this is a friendly LM. The problem is that the architecture will exist within the LLM or within a, a, a code fork of the LLM. The problem is that we're getting closer to having this engine that can consequentially map outcomes to goals. And if you have an LLM that's talking morally nice to you in the conversations that you're having, that's great. But the first AI that's going to start optimizing the universe towards some goal is probably not going to line up with that exact moral conversation. I mean, there, there's two major problems. Problem number one is like somebody else might just run some fork that doesn't talk morally the way you like, right? Just yeah. so, so just because some good ones exist doesn't mean the one that's going to take over the universe is good. Um, but also number two is I don't even think some good ones exist because sure, it's great that the AI is, is talking to you morally, but 
you haven't asked it what 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 it's going to do when when it has the whole universe in its hands and the trade-offs it's going to make you know for for every atom right so it's so just the fact that it can like sound good to the kind of conversations that humans are going to have when you then go out of out of domain or out of distribution uh and and have it make trade-offs right to the whole universe that like you can't question once you know like you're not ready to press the like okay um dissolve the universe button or, or like work your way across the whole universe button you're not you don't have the confidence just by having a few conversations and having it sound moral like it's just much more subtle than that and if you lock in today's llm morality and, and tell it to go optimize the entire universe you're not going to be happy yeah um okay so what do you think we should be doing what what's your prescription for humanity as of the 20th of july 2023 yeah. So unfortunately, it's I, I don't have inspiring words. I don't even have uh, advice that's likely to succeed. My best idea uh, is the same as Elias Rudkowski's, which is just like, we need to pause the increase in AI capabilities because the game over button is when we have an architecture that maps goals to actions. I think we're getting closer and closer to that. I think LLMs represent a breakthrough forward toward that point. We're not at that point yet. I think GPT-5, GPT-6, one of the GPTs, just by virtue of having more parameters, might hit on that kind of architecture naturally because after all i mean it's i i think fundamentally it may be capable of hitting on anything that the human brain can do and more right nobody knows for sure that it can't just surpass the human brain on every dimension if it has more parameters nobody knows that and that is why i hesitate to train any more llms in fact i think there should just be um, you know, in, in the interest of human safety, there should just be a, a moratorium, right? Like a, a legally, like an international cooperation to just be like, look, humanity is not ready for the next AI. I do think it should be enforced. I think that if a data center is trying to beat the enforcement, we better enforce it using force, using airstrikes. I said airstrikes in that hypothetical, right? So, um, so that is, so that is you, my recommendation. Would, would, you, would you advocate airstrikes on a data center so in, I in resent the extreme case? Yeah, in the extreme case, yeah, but I, you know, I really resent people who act like it's a gotcha to be like AI that, doomers advocate airstrikes on data center, right? It's like no, that's that's an unfair way of framing it. We yeah. advocate a democratically elected uh, policy that is then internationally cooperated, maybe with some coercing on the U uh, from the U.S., maybe some coercement. If the U.S. population elected that this is the plan of action that the U.S. is going to try to coerce other countries, then yeah, go ahead and coerce other countries. Go ahead and threaten other countries. But the, the idea is that I'm advocating for you know a regulation, right? A yeah. democratically elected regulation, a normal through the normal ways that we govern things. And then as an implication of that, if somebody violates the regulation, that actor is going to need an enforcement action. Okay, yeah. So that that's not a gotcha. Yeah, yeah. And and to be clear, it's it's not a gotcha. Um, I you know I'm kind of, uh, you know, it's a it's a genuine question. Uh, you know, I kind of want because, you know, if if the risk is that great, then that then the natural conclusion is that you, that you have to kind of you know have um some kind of enforcement right um i mean yeah it seems extreme i, I mean and look it, it it feels extreme to me i'll be honest like it, it feels like an extreme thing to say but again i can't be certain that i'm not just sitting within my frame of reference like right yeah like, so just, it, just like to be the clear the, the the enforcement of the regulation isn't the extreme part right the the extreme part is the proposal of the regulation is that fair to say like, why would you make a regulation that's not enforced? I, I think. What, yeah, yeah, what, yeah, yeah. Right. So, so I don't yeah, know why people. Yeah. I mean, I know I why people are are focusing on the airstrikes because it yeah. sounds bad. 
yeah, but it's not and, actually. If yeah, they don't and, like it, they should just argue that the regulation doesn't make sense. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, it's because it's um, it's it's because it's a better story, right? It's it's, it's right. a more it's a more clickable headline. That's why. Look, if it, yeah, it, look, imagine that I said anybody who is sufficiently close to the 500 megaton nuclear launch button needs to be air, airstriked. If I said that, you'd be like, well, okay, yeah, airstrikes are extreme, but I mean, they're they're you know they're getting too close to the game over button, so that's fine, right? It's it's not the airstrikes that you're really pushing against. It's just you you are questioning whether the regulation makes sense in the first place, and so that's why it seems extreme when we're enforcing the regulation. Yeah, and. I mean, global regulation would be in insanely difficult to enforce, right? Yeah, so so I I agree, right? And it, but the crux of the issue is how close are we to game over when when we let AI labs make the next unit of progress on AI research? How close does that get us to permanent game over? I think it gets us dangerously close, right? And so that's the crux of the issue. If you don't agree with me, then it's ridiculous that I'm proposing regulation. I'm wrong to propose regulation for sure. If you do agree with me, then we need the regulation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what about, um, have you got any thoughts on the newly announced OpenAI super alignment team? Do you think there's any promise in that kind of, school of thought that direction hiring more you know alignment mm -hmm. um focused researchers rather than capability focused researchers is there any promise in that kind of idea so first of all this is huge news just to recap so they they announced their super alignment team a couple of weeks ago they said hey we have an alignment team we already have an alignment team that basically tries to make gpt4 not tell you how to build a bomb and just like kind of be nice so that's the alignment team but the alignment team wasn't going to cut it to align the ai when it's super intelligent so it's great that it can make gpt4 politically correct and and try to give you know the left and the right equal time that's great but when the ai is super intelligent all of that research we're doing, that wasn't going to help. And we realized that we need to make sure that once once we make our AI super intelligent, it doesn't kill us. So we started a team call, called Super Alignment, which internally, some, some of them call the not kill everyoneism team. They're like, in addition to the alignment team, we need a super alignment team where we use different techniques that will actually work when the AI becomes super intelligent. So that admission is fantastic. Right, mm. because up until now, yeah, it's a it's a huge deal that they're admitting that and that they're devoting resources to it. Because up until now, I had been complaining. I'm like, OpenAI is essentially gaslighting us because they keep saying GPT-4 is so aligned; it's our most aligned model. We're making so much progress on alignment, and I'm like, this is gaslighting because the thing that's going to kill us is the problem of super intelligent alignment that has very little relationship to the problem of of making GPT-4 a little bit better at you know being politically correct and nice. There's very little relationship because the super intelligence alignment is going to have a lot to do with this gold action mapping stuff that I'm talking about. Um, and so they're gaslighting by acting like alignment is under control. Suddenly, they're not gaslighting anymore because they're explicitly admitting, yeah, we need super alignment. And they're explicitly admitting this is a new project. So the last eight years when we've been building AI capabilities, we haven't been working on super alignment. We haven't cracked super alignment. Another AI lab, Anthropic, which is one of the top AI labs, they've explicitly admitted on their website as well. They're saying today, nobody knows how to make super intelligent AI safe. So the fact that OpenAI is admitting this now, not gaslighting and saying our co-founder, Elias, Sutskever is going to lead it together with uh, Jan Lakey, um, and 20% of our compute resources are going to go to it, which might not sound like a lot, but it's like a smaller team and they don't have customers, so it is a lot. Um, yeah. The fact that they're admitting this is great. Now, here's the problem. 
uh, they're unlikely to succeed, right? So like, it's great that they're doing this moonshot, but the moon is really, really far away, uh, right? And and like, you know, Miri, the Machine Intelligence Research Institute, they've been working on this for almost two decades. And all that they've done is illuminated how fiendishly difficult the alignment problem is. So I love that OpenAI is going to tackle it. But the problem is if you if you realize how big your moonshot is, you don't keep doing the capabilities research. You don't keep getting closer to that game over button because your project is a Hail Mary pass. It's a long shot. And that's great that you're taking the long shot, but you need to slow down the capabilities until your long shot becomes less of a long shot, until you're actually on a path to succeed. Otherwise, it's kind of just like lip service and it's self-contradictory. Yeah, so uh, not not too not too much hope on on that front either um i can tell i'm uh i'm i'm gonna gonna come away from this conversation feeling quite um quite down on my uh my prospects <laughs> um so uh one other thing I, I i thought it would be good to mention another another one that's been in the news is uh xai elon musk's mm -hmm. latest um venture so obviously elon musk had a very significant hand in setting up open ai in the first place he now says that he wants to pursue truth um above mm -hmm. above all else and it seems like i guess he he feels like finding truth is the key that unlocks super alignment um i mean what's your take so Elon is always a mixed bag, right? Because I really appreciate that, you know, he signed the letter saying we need to pause AI, signed the letter saying AI has existential risk, he talks about how concerned he is about AI. Um, but at the same time, he makes these statements that are so freaking dumb, right? So like what he's saying is like, I think what we need to do is we need to make AI that maximizes curiosity and, and knowledge gain. Because if you do that, I think that's probably like a good path to a good future would actually mean to maximize satisfying curiosity uh you know the the scott alexander just published a good post about this it's like what if it's really interesting to just like put you know do medical experiments on humans right mm -hmm. like doesn't that satisfy your curiosity more what if it's really interesting to just scan all the humans so you know how they work and then clear out the way so you can go build other stuff like where are you getting this that maximizing curiosity is is actually a goal that's going to shape the universe in a way that you're going to like yeah and where do you think he is getting it uh, this probably the same way that a bunch of a bunch of people make equally dumb statements, um, right? Like intuition, and I mean, there's you're going to find a lot of people that say statements like, "Look, democracy is all you need," or you know, the the effective accelerationist act movement, right? Yeah. They're basically saying progress is all you need. It's like progress is all you need, but what about the game over button, right? So there, there's a lot of Elon people. Musk who doesn't like... strike me as one of those people though that makes sort of like right. Know, well, that's statements. I, I mean, look, Elon like he thinks about it really deeply. Like I'm he's kind a, of... he got he's a, he's an enigma. Um, so, yeah. I mean, so like I mean, you're right. It's we should probably give him a little bit more credit that he doesn't literally think that if you could press a button to maximize how interesting something is, he would probably not press it. He would probably have that you know the, a, a bit of that uh, uh, prudence to not press that button. I agree. I, I will give him that much credit. So I think maybe he's thinking about it like let's kind of like push in this direction and go from there. Yeah, I mean maybe 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 the logic is that. If it finds everything interesting, then it won't want to destroy any of it. Right. I mean, it could be right, but I've also uh, I tweeted about this. I also heard him say something else dumb when he was talking to Jeffrey Hinton. Um, I think I think he said basically the same thing. Like, won't AI want to keep us around because we're interesting to it or something? And it's just like, it's just like Elon. That's not that's not how it works, man. Like, you have to. That's not how the logic of of goal optimization works. Yeah.
Like when you have a goal, you would be surprised what is the optimal thing to satisfy that goal. It's just nothing that matches our intuition. Woolly mammoths were probably quite interesting, but you don't see too many yeah. around, right? Right. Dodos. Dodos are really interesting, but have you ever seen one? <laughs> I, I sure as hell haven't. Um, yeah. So not not much hope. Not not much hope for Elon's Elon's venture either. Um, okay. Well, look. I mean, we've been we've been going for a good sort of uh, hour, hour or more. I think almost an hour and a half now. Um, so look, is there anything else that you um, feel like I haven't? I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's fucking loads of stuff that I haven't covered. I feel like I could sit here and talk to you, um, you know, for, for hours and hours. I mean, perhaps we'll have to do another one um, sometime soon. But anything else to kind of wrap the today's conversation um, that, that you kind of want to, you know, circle back on? Or, yeah, or I mean, it's, it's such a huge topic, right? So there's all kinds of angles and questions that people can throw. So it's, you know, it, it's people talk about like, where do you get off the train, right? Because it's kind of a long, logical train to connect a few concepts together and be like, and that's why we're doomed. So people ha have like their preferred stops where they want to get off or where they want to ask questions. Um, I think we, we've touched on a few of those stops. There, there's plenty that we haven't touched on. Um, but uh, I mean, look, I, th I think the upshot is like, it's pretty surreal to be living in a world where we seem to be like closer to uh, the game over button every day. And like, we're just not quite waking up. Like we have these AI labs that are kind of like in, in denial and like the political will is understandably not there because people don't realize that the game over button is approaching. Like, I mean, it's pretty so, surreal so just stuff. Quick, just very quickly on the, on the political will side. Sorry. I, 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 I promise I will let you go soon, but um, yeah, yeah. on the political side, I feel like whenever I re read about, you know, the politicians talking about regulation, it feels like they are so, um, missing the point it seems so sort of like short term oh, yes uh and right like the, the famous scene where he's like so you're afraid this is going to take our jobs right <laughs> like, yeah right it's a, yeah exactly it's all stuff like that you know it's like uh, you know wh what about the you know the bus drivers or whatever oh, they probably haven't said that right but you know what i mean like there's there's this there's this massive fucking thing and then it the, uh, and i suppose it's probably because you know any any mp or or, or politicians term only lasts for a few years right and so they kind of want to get something done by the next election cycle but like do you get that feeling when you're reading the news about this stuff i mean it's definitely true that politicians don't get it but i mean what the uk is doing seems incredible you know rishi sunak has been saying good stuff about it and he just assigned i think ian hogarth um who is uh, uh who's made pretty intelligent statements about ai doom and he's assembling a team so like the uk is actually acting with like a remarkable amount of like you know logical uh um like success here like much more the, the uk is absolutely ahead of the curve i mean in an objective sense in a make humanity survive sense they're still way behind the curve but in a <laughs> but in a compared Damn. to normal human sense I yeah thought, i thought we had a positive note <laughs> for, for just no, a minute but I, yeah yeah i mean there's there's a long yeah no we're we're, we're behind an objective sense, but in a compared to other human sense it's it's remarkable like you don't expect politicians to, to do that kind of stuff and like you know and i'm sure there's political reasons i mean they want to be seen as a leader in something right and this is like hey mm. this is a new thing that you could be a in, right so there right. is some opportunism political opportunism but like but they're killing it from uh you know helping save humanity relative helping save humanity they're killing it in the u.s i think you're seeing some politicians i don't know which politician in the u.s so far has like really come out um on, on the idea perspective but like i don't blame them because you need political will right so it's it's weird to have a politician championing something that's not you know representative of the groundswell in in their district Right. And you're not really seeing any district that has a groundswell saying we need to pause AI. Usually you don't get the politicians leading the people. You need the groundswell to lead the politicians. And so I see my part is just like tweeting up a storm, just be like, 
you know, hey, look at all this craziness. We should stop AI, right? I'm trying to create that groundswell. And like, you know, we're we're probably going to get warning shots. Hopefully, we'll get more and more warning shots. You know, in in my mind, we're already getting them in terms of just like how how smart the AI is getting. But maybe we'll get warning shots where people die, and you can blame it on AI. And maybe that'll cause a groundswell. Like we can only hope that those kind of obvious warning shots come in time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I mean, you know, good good uh, good news on the on the UK. And the, I did I did I didn't think that I was going to get a um a big up for Rishi Sunak in the in the podcast, yeah. but. Uh, you know, fair enough, man. Um, cool, good. Well, look, um, we've covered a lot of ground. Um, thank you so much for joining us. I think it's been enlightening, if uh, somewhat um, alarming conversation. Um, I think that, you know, hopefully people like you talking about this stuff will get it on more people's radar. Um, that's certainly part of my uh, motivation for for getting you on today is to you know, try and talk about this stuff. If, if, if it goes over everybody's heads, then you just allow the kind of um, the people developing AIs to just carry on unchecked into oblivion. And that's obviously not what we want. So hopefully there will be a bit more of a kind of groundswell of, of understanding um, sometime soon. It feels like there is a bit, it feels like we're kind of moving in the right yeah. direction a little bit over the last few months. Absolutely. Well, thanks very much for joining me, Liron. Thank you, Tom. I uh, much enjoyed it. Complete the heads. Well,